Hey, it's really good to see you guys. Welcome back to school. I'm sure mixed feelings about that from all of you, but I have no mixed feelings. It's really good to see all of you guys. Uh, welcome back. Welcome to RUF. Uh, a special welcome to you if this is your first time. Uh, it's our joy to have you. Uh, it's wonderful to see uh, everyone here. Uh, my name is Chris, and I'm the campus minister. Um, I would love to, hey Nathaniel, um, I would love to get to know you if, uh, if I don't know you already. Um, if this is your first time or you're just kind of trying this out, um, I would love to get to know you. I would love to sit down with you, meet you. I would love for you to get to know the wonderful people that are here, part of this community together of students. Uh, we really want this to be a place, and we mean this, where you can come here regardless of whether you're a Christian or not regardless of your past, regardless of your present, um, and feel like you can come here with these people and listen to what the Bible says, learn, investigate the gospel, the good news, whether you're religious or non-religious, whoever you are. I would love to get to know you. We would love to get to know you, so welcome. Uh, it really is a joy to see you and a joy to have you, so good to have you here. Uh, this semester, or tonight, we're starting a new series. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're calling this uh, series Boring and Beautiful. And uh, we want to look at how the gospel affects our everyday lives. And part of the reason for that is just because of where most of us are, we're sort of trained to look for the next exciting thing. You're waiting for the weekend. You're waiting for the next big party. You're waiting for the next big trip. You're waiting for the next big conference. And we sort of live our lives waiting for the next exciting thing to happen. Um, I spoke with a student last semester, and it was, it was kind of what cemented for me that we should look at Ephesians. Is We had a great conversation, and he said, you know, there's got to be more than just going to my campus ministry, reading my Bible, hanging out with my friends, and going to church. It's just really boring. There's got to be something more to it than that. Uh, and it's hard not to, not to sympathize with that, right? Um, if you think about it, most of your life is really boring. Uh, really boring. You think your life is boring, you should come live with me. Um, but the reality is that 1% of our lives is exciting, roughly. And 99% of our lives is like doing homework, slash looking at Netflix, um, eating, changing the toilet paper roll, uh, talking to your mom on the phone, uh, dealing with your roommate, dealing with your church. That is where we spend most of our lives, quite frankly. That's where we spend about 99%. And it can be tempting to treat our lives like a big wooden crate. And inside the crate is one tiny piece of beautiful artwork. But it's surrounded and full and packed to the brim with packing peanuts. And we think that the 99% of our life is we just kind of have to get through it to get to the good part. Uh, but what I hope that we're going to see by studying Ephesians is that God cares uh, intimately and he's most at work, if I can say it, in the packing peanuts. Um, the packing peanuts are where the action is. Um, the 99% of your life that is mundane tasks, that's what God wants. And that's where he wants to work uh, most powerfully and uh, most maybe surprisingly for us. Uh, if you watch Sherlock, if you're a fan of Sherlock, I know at least one person is a fan of Sherlock. Uh, on the first episode, remember Dr. Watson, he's talking with this shadowy figure, and the guy says this, most people blunder around the city 
and all they see are streets and shops and cars, when you walk with Sherlock Holmes, you see the battlefield. What I hope that God will do by his grace will show us that if we're walking with Jesus through our lives, um, all those mundane actions every day become incredibly meaningful if we're walking with him. So we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. It's in the back third of your Bible. It'll probably be on the screen too. Um, But if you flip through the Gospels, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And it was one of his favorite churches. And he wrote them this letter. And this is basically how it breaks down. There's six chapters. This is the boring stuff, but see, this is the point. You should pay attention to it. Um, There's six chapters. The first three chapters are God's perspective on the world. And it's sort of this huge, big picture. This is what God is doing. This wonderful redemption story, sort of the 30,000-foot view on what God has been doing through history. And it's magnificent. It's amazing. Paul calls it a mystery. This is the big stuff. And then the second half, Paul says, okay, and this is how this is supposed to be born on your life. This is what God is doing in your life. And it's really boring. It's like the local church. Yes, the local church in Boone. Uh, it's the local church. It's the relationships you have with your parents. It's the relationships you have with each other. Uh, it's the re- relationship you have with your work. It's really boring, boring stuff. Yet yeah, I want us to see that God is at work most powerfully and primarily there. So boring and beautiful. So we're going to start at a good place to start. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. So read with me, if you will, because this is the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things In him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is God's word, so it's only fitting that we should ask his blessing as we consider it. So let's do that in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it challenges us. We thank you that it grows us. We thank you that it comforts us. Would you come now by your spirit and bless it? Just the reading of it is enough for us. But Lord, would you bless also the teaching for our good? And for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 
So maybe as we were reading that long section, you were pretty confused because it sounds like a bunch of thoughts just all jumbled together. And that's actually what it is. Uh, Verse 3 through verse 14 is one sentence in the Greek, which is this was originally written. It's one run on sentence. Paul's really, really excited and he gets kind of jacked up. And so the words just start flowing out. And maybe you're that kind of person. I know at least one person in here that's like this, that when they get really, really excited, they just start talking really, really, really fast, and it starts coming out, coming out, coming out, coming out, and they don't stop. I live with a three-year-old, and so um, I know this intimately every day. She's very excited to tell me, and she just doesn't stop talking for a long time. That's basically what Paul is doing here. He's bursting in praise to God, and he just can't stop himself. It's pouring all out in this long, long, long sentence of praise to God. And this is what he's praising God for. This is what he's excited about. This is what he's captivated about, is what God has been doing in history. Basically, what what God has done is he's taken Paul, and he's kind of brought him up to his level, kind of in the hot air balloon, and he's shown him, this is what I've done in eternity past. This is what I'm doing now. This is what I'm going to do. And it's gotten Paul really, really excited. And tonight... As we look at this passage and we kind of see this grand story of what God has done and is doing and will continue to do, my challenge for you is very simple, Um, whether you're a Christian or not. As we study this, could you consider for a moment whether maybe God's grace is bigger and more amazing than you thought before? So if you're a Christian and you're just kind of burned out on the whole thing, you're kind of cold on it. Um, or you have these very rigid preconceived notions of what the gospel is, um, could you just consider that it's bigger than all that, that it's better than all that? Um, And if you're not a Christian, could you consider just for a moment whether it's more compelling, whether it pulls your heart more than you had previously considered? Because there's a couple of things, as you maybe could tell as we were reading through, that might ruffle our feathers a little bit. But all I'm asking Is it better than you thought? Is God's grace more amazing than you thought? And basically, this is our roadmap. We're going to see God's grace is amazing because God elects. Okay, I would say predestinates, but that's kind of a hard word to say. So grace is amazing because God elects, because God adopts, and because God unites. Grace is amazing because God elects, adopts, and unites. Okay, so we're going to go verse by verse through here, which is really good. This is my advice for reading the Bible in the new year. If you want to understand the Bible, take a book and read it. Don't just blow through. Read it and try to really dig in verse by verse. And that's what we're going to do. Um, But if I had my choice, I probably would not have started this semester by talking about predestination. Um, Mostly because I have severe uh, people-pleasing tendencies and I want you all to come back. um, Because that makes me feel good about myself. Uh, But when Paul gets excited... And he starts sort of just, just throwing up these words, these, this praise of God. Like the first thing that he talks about is predestination. And the first thing he talks about is what we call election or predestination. If Paul is excited about it, we should at least give it our attention. So um, here's exactly what Paul is saying. Sort of walk with me through here. He says, blessed be God. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. He predestined us for adoption. We have redemption, forgiveness in him. 
In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And here's what Paul is saying. God chose before anyone was born who would believe in Jesus. So there it is. Um, That's what he's saying. Okay, so before you all stampede away, um, a couple of things. Number one. You may have significant questions and concerns, and that might make you really pissed off. And I understand that, and I want you to know that your questions and concerns are valid. I will not be addressing all those questions, nor could I, even if I wanted to. Uh, This is a doctrine that does have some mystery to it. But your questions are valid. I would love to talk to you about your questions. Okay? So if you want to meet with me, I would love that. On Friday, I will be in Crossroads. At 10 o'clock, and I will stay there until lunch. And if you have a question and you want to talk about this, I would be more than happy to talk to you about it. Okay? You don't have to believe in this to come back to RUF. Okay? So that is being said. But if you come back, I do think that this will start to make more sense as we look through the, the letter. Okay? So I understand you have questions because I just told you that the Bible says that God decided before anyone was born who would be a Christian and who wouldn't. Okay? Uh, understandable. But this is also what I, I don't want you to do. Please don't think that this doctrine is something that is a metaphysical, philosophical problem that we sit down and sort of diagram like a word, like a sentence diagram. It's not presented to us like that. It's not something that we come to sort of coldly and mathematically and figure out how it all fits together. Uh, the doctrine of election is something that is supposed to make us praise God. And worship God. And I want to show you why. We praise God because of election. Because God is able to save people. Uh, That's what election means. God is capable of saving people. Uh, When I was an RUF intern many moons ago, uh, I I was doing a a small group Bible study. And this topic came up. I think it might have been in Ephesians. And these two girls got very angry. And uh, I, was, I was down at a college in Savannah, and they went to the campus minister to rat me out, right? And um, they went to him and they said, you wouldn't believe what Chris is talking about in this, in this Bible study. I mean, he's saying that, like, God chooses, he's going to be, you know. And uh, the campus minister is a wise person. He listened to them and to all their issues. And then at the end of it, he asked them, girls, do you have any friends that aren't Christians? And they said, Yeah. Course. And he said, do you pray for your friends that aren't Christians? And they said, yeah, of course. And he said, why do you pray to God for your non-Christian friends if God isn't able to do anything about it? We praise God in election because that means if God is the one that chooses, that he has the power, the ability, and, and the, the right to save people. We praise him for that. And we praise him because this forces us to admit something that makes us very uncomfortable. And that's that God is involved intimately in every area of your life. That he is absolutely in control. This is what we call God's sovereignty. That God is sovereign over everything. That there isn't anything, there isn't a particle in the universe over which he doesn't control singularly and authoritatively. Um, it's beautiful because it takes us out of the driver's seat 
by God's grace, we're in the car, right? But we're not behind the wheel. God is behind the wheel. Because the reality is, y'all, somebody has to be in control. Somebody has to be free to choose. The beauty of election is that God is free to choose. Because when it comes to, you know, mundane things like, I don't know, determining people's eternal destiny, God seems slightly more qualified than we do to handle those kinds of issues. And again, I'm not telling you buy this right now or never come back. I'm just telling you consider it. Okay? Election is good news because God is far more capable than we are. Because look at verse 11, if you can. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to what? The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. If God uh, orders everything according to his own will, why would he leave the most arguably important aspect of what he's doing in the world to chance? Why would he do such a thing? Uh, the reality is, even though it makes us uncomfortable, God micromanages the universe. And God micromanages your life. And can we just for a second move beyond that that may be pissing us off to maybe us going, that could be good? That might be positive in my life that God is in control because if we don't praise God for being in control the only thing we can do is praise ourselves because the reality is if you're a Christian uh, and you accepted Jesus and you made a decision for Jesus which I hope that everyone in this room has or will um, your front, many of your friends aren't Christians and millions of people throughout the world who have heard about Jesus aren't Christians. Is it just that you're smarter than they are? Is it that you're more spiritual than they are? Is it that you're able to put together the pieces better than they are? Um, is it? Uh, is that what has happened? Um, it just draws us to praising ourselves. And uh, looking to ourselves. But the question for us is, if that's the case, that you were smarter and more spiritual, did you mean it? Did you really mean it? Do you really mean it right now? Did you really mean it when you woke up? Um, recognizing that God is in control takes the burden off our shoulders. Um, I'm not saying it makes us irresponsible, but it takes our eternal destiny and the, the eternal destiny of those that we love off of our shoulders. There was nothing that, if you're a Christian, there was nothing that you did to make God love you. Uh, that's humbling. And most of us would say that is true. There's nothing that I did to make God love me. And the text says it, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There was nothing that you could do to make God choose you. You weren't even around. But he did. But he did. Mark Twain, who was not a Christian, said this. He said, heaven goes by favor. If heaven went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. <laughs> if it was up to something that we do, none of us would get in. Our dog would get in because our, God, our dog is a consistent, happy, loving 
individual. Um, our relationship with God isn't based on our ability to choose him, but on his ability to choose us. Um, and all I'm asking, um, could that comfort you? Could that be a comfort for you? The fact that God didn't have to choose you, but he did. Could that comfort you? And what if God didn't have to choose you, but he chose you? Would that mean that the gospel is suddenly bigger and more amazing than we thought before? Could that get you fired up? Okay, so that's my predestination spiel. Take it or leave it. But verse 5 tells us why God elected people, why he predestined people. And it says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. God's grace is amazing because he elects, and God's grace is amazing because he adopts people. Um, you know, it's easy to, like, to love kids from a distance. Um, my daughter just turned three last week, and she was adorable. And um, so we had all of her little child friends in our house. And I love my friends' kids. I really do. But it took a lot for me to not strangle uh, several of them as they ran screaming through my house and tearing down all of my possessions and jumping on my couch. Um, I love my friends' kids, but I don't love my friends' kids like I love my kids. Um, a parent's love, a father's love, is fierce. And it's consuming. And what Paul is saying here is that if you are in Jesus, God loves you like his own child. Um, but at the time that this letter was written, now when we think adoption, we think, oh, I, I went and got a baby and I brought it back to my house and I raised it as my own child. And maybe some of you are adopted or have adopted siblings. But at the time this was written, this wasn't necessarily a child thing. This was an adult thing. Uh, primarily. So, as you might know, in the ancient world, if someone, uh, a man, wants to leave his inheritance to someone, he has to have a son. It all goes to the firstborn son. And if you didn't have a son, what you could do in sort of Roman society is you could adopt a younger man, like someone that's like most of you guys' age, and that person could become your heir. He would become your adopted son. And basically what that would mean is, if, if you were the adoptive father, that you would pay off all this man's debts that he would have, and then you would bring him in and he would take on your family's name. That in the eyes of the law, you were that man's son. Uh, you became the firstborn son. And what Paul is showing us here is when God saves you, you become that firstborn son. Your debt gets paid. Paul says here that he, he, we have redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of our, of our trespasses. Jesus paid your debt, if you're a believer, so that you could be God's son. Um, but this isn't just a father, right, that we're coming into his family. This is a king. This is the king. This is the king of the universe. Who comes in to the king's presence? When anyone comes, think about any movie you've ever seen that has kings in it. I have not seen Game of Thrones, so I don't know if this is how it is. I, probably not, because it's Game of Thrones and it's weird. Um, <laughs> anyone that comes into the king's chamber grovels. They set themselves below the king, and they wait for the king 
to deign to bring them into their presence, and then even only so close. But the king's children don't do that. The king's children burst through the door. They run past all these groveling, you know, sort of losers, and they run straight up to the king. And they jump in the king's arm. And what does the king do? The king do? He receives them. He kisses them. He hugs them. The difference between being a servant, being accepted, and being a son or daughter of the king uh, is incredibly uh, profound. Um, Did you know that if you belong to Jesus, that you have that access to God? No groveling, no making an appointment, no kissing the ring, straight to the king. Because if you belong to Jesus, anything that would have kept you from the king has been paid for. Galatians 4, ah, so beautiful, says, Jesus saved us so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Abba means daddy. It means Papa. If you're in Jesus, you come to God and he's your daddy. Uh, I know that might make some of us just cringe. Um, But again, my daughter, uh, so this is a little bit weird. My wife calls me Chris Horn. She always has and always will. She's called me Chris, I think, a total of two to three times since the whole time we've been married. And she calls me Chris Horn. So sometimes my daughter, Georgia... She calls me Chris Horn. <laughs> and um, it's actually become somewhat of an insult, in my, in, which is true. Um, but so sometimes she'll say, hey, Chris Horn. And I get to go to her and pick her up and say, Georgia, you get to call me daddy. And there's only two people in the whole world that get to call me daddy. And you're one of them. If you belong to Jesus... You get to call God daddy. You aren't just anybody. You are his child. Um, we come to God, into God's presence and we get everything. It's like um, Mufasa uh, and Simba, right? Do you remember when they went up on the plateau in the early morning? You remember Simba, the little lion, he sits down to the great big king. And what, is, what does Mufasa say? Look, son, everything that the light touches is our, it's all kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a little bit conflicting because it's Darth Vader's voice, so it's, it's very strange. Um, every, if you're in Jesus, God literally brings you alongside of him, shows you everything and says, son, daughter, everything that the light touches is ours, is yours and mine. So, what if God doesn't just tolerate you? What if he isn't just mostly disappointed with you, but keeps you around? What if God loves you like his own firstborn son? What if he dotes on you? What if he picks you up and says, no, call me daddy? Could that be compelling for a moment? Could grace be bigger than we thought that it was if you had unrestricted access to God. So grace is amazing because God elects, because God adopts, and because God unites. So we could really say here that when Paul's talking about God's blessings to us, it is something that happened in the past. God predestined us 
before the foundation of the world. So God, God's grace is amazing in the past. And it's amazing in the present because he adopts us to be his children. And that's right now that you have that access, that daddy access to God. It's right now. But also it extends into eternity future. From verse 9, he says that God is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Okay, so for the end of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is good news, and this is why. We tend to think that God's plan, the gospel, the good news, is primarily about our individual walk with Jesus. It's about our individual relationship with God. And what Paul is saying here that challenges us is that it's much bigger than that. Your relationship with God matters, but what God is doing is so much bigger and more grand and enormous and expansive than that. And what he's saying is at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, it says the fullness of time, when time has been, you think about uh, a, uh, what's that thing called when the sand comes through? The hourglass. <laughs> uh, thank you. When the bottom is full up and all the time is gone, at that point, God is going to unite all things together. Uh, and that's good news. Because that means that we as human beings, as a human race, as a planet, are headed somewhere. We're going somewhere. There's a trajectory. And the trajectory is to a happy ending. To a storybook ending, a fairy tale ending, a movie script ending, where yes, everybody lives happily ever after. All God's people live happily ever ever after. And just think about all the disharmony in the world. Uh, we were at the Club Expo today, and there's a million different groups, right? Um, and almost everybody is advocating something because there's some injustice, there's some inequality, there's some disharmony, there's some disunity. And basically what Paul is saying is, okay, we can be about that here, but the only one that can do that on the universal grand scale is God, and he's going to. That he's going to bring all those strands together perfectly into harmony. All those dissonant voices together into beautiful, beautiful harmony. And guess what? If you belong to Jesus, he wants you to be part of that. He's calling you to be part of that. Remember in The Return of the King, uh, when Sam and Frodo, uh, they've, they've climbed Mount Doom and it's amazing. And they pass out, and you're like, oh no. You know, but then the eagles, they come and they take them. Okay, all right. And, uh, and Sam, in the book, Sam wakes up, right? And Gandalf is there? Yeah. yeah. And do you remember what Sam asked Gandalf? Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? And the Bible says, with a resounding yes, everything sad is going to come untrue. God is going to do it, and he's calling us to be part of it. He wants us to be part of it. He wants to invite us. And so this is why this is good news. And we're going to bring this thing down for a landing right here. Uh, that's good news uh, because that means that your best days aren't behind you. Uh, that means that the best thing that's going to happen to you has not yet happened, nor will it ever happen. Your best days, if you believe in Jesus and belong to God, your best days will always Always be in front of you. Your best days are not behind you, but the best 
is always yet to come. That means that things will get better. That means that you will not always struggle with what you struggle with right now. That you will not always be burdened with what you're burdened with right now. That your family will not always be like it is right now. Um, You will not always be lonely. Your heart will not always break. Uh, You will not always have to hide. You will not always have to doubt. God is coming to bring a beautiful fairy tale ending to the world, and he wants us to be part of it. And just, can that capture your heart? Does that have the power to do that? Does anything else that you have going on in your life have that kind of power to change you, to comfort you? Um, So here's why God's grace is amazing. God's grace is amazing because he's in control of our past. He elects us. God's grace is amazing because he's in control of our present. He adopts us, and we call him daddy. And God's grace is amazing because he's in control of our future, and he's going to unite everything, everything together. And our best days are yet to come. And all I'm asking is if that even slightly interests you, if that has any power at all, could you hear more? Could you come back and hear more? Please. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that in Jesus, Lord, we, can, we really can be comforted. Uh, we really can have assurance. Uh, we really can have hope and optimism for the future. Um, Lord, I barely believe that. Lord, and I, need, I, I need you to change my heart. Lord, I want to believe it. And um, I know many of my brothers and sisters do as well. Lord, would you capture our hearts? Would you get us excited? Lord, bring us back to hear more. Um, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.